Hello and welcome to House of Fire and Blood, the podcast where we ask, what if George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood were told more like HBO's show, House of the Dragon? Hi everyone, my name is Caroline and my pronouns are she, her, and I'm here with Gretchen. Hey everybody, uh, I am Gretchen and I use they, them pronouns. And we are picking up our analysis of Fire and Blood mm-hmm. at the chapter. Oh no, my book is far away. Uh, I have to stretch. Uh, All right, we're beginning the chapter. Jaharis and Alison, their triumphs and tragedies. We are doing the first 10 ish pages mm-hmm. up to, if you have a physical book, it's up to page 240, ending on the paragraph. Then it was, where the last sentence of the paragraph is, then it was said a roar went up so loud that it could be heard across the narrow sea. Um, and this is all about how Jaharis and Allison are great and awesome, and everything is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, we were beginning um, this chapter, because it's a brand new chapter, uh, with all of the all the things that are going well in the kingdom right now, um, and how they're mm-hmm. definitely, certainly the result of how good a king Jaharis is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, the very first sentence of the chapter tells us, the accomplishments of King Jaharis the first Targaryen are almost too many to enumerate. But it's going to try. They're gonna try. Yeah, and they're gonna try. Them. He's and his, such... accom- and, and his accomplishments are things like fish is the the cost of fish is going down. Gretchen, wouldn't wouldn't you know? <laughs> would aren't you shocked <laughs> that when you don't have lots of wars and death, uh-huh. things are better? What? Like I know, right? It's like when people and men aren't going to die in war, and women aren't being left widows, and their sons aren't being taken away for war, and fields aren't being burned. Uh, there's more people at home to like plant crops. Yeah, they can farm. They can farm. And, and they fish can fish. And, 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 more baby, and more babies are born because, more again, babies. people aren't dying all the time. So, you know. Yeah. People can have lots of babies. Population's doing great. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Population's booming. The crops are watered. Um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm shocked that when you don't have war, things are good. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, but this is definitely because King Jaharis is the best. Um, well, yes. He's the conciliator. Yes. So, yeah. Raina is on the hunt for Arya. She's flying around mm-hmm. Westeros. She's um, living the fucking dream right now, bro. Right. Like, she just gets to fly around on her dragon. Seriously, the amount, like, I would kill to be able to ride around my dragon on, like, the rainy moor and, like, just be in the forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the vibe. The absolute vibe. Yep. Of that. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, I got the sense reading this that, like, Reyna is just kind of, like, finally able to do a thing she's been wanting to do for years. Yeah. Which is, like, I just get to fly away from everybody and, like, be alone with my feelings. And it's a good thing for her to do because the, the woman hasn't ever really been alone to reflect on her feelings. She's she's okay. avoided her feelings by surrounding herself with people. And she's just recently been through, like, a, she's been through a lot of trauma in her life mm-hmm. recently a lot, too. And she has a purpose for flying around when she's looking for Arya, but it also does force her. To, to just be alone with her thoughts and maybe process something. Maybe. You know, hopefully. Um, yeah, all we know is is that uh, no one can find Balerion. We don't know where he is. Balerion's gone, and so is Arya. Um, people, some people think that, you know, Arya fell off his back and died. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the people who do believe she's still alive, they suspect that uh, Balerion is driving this. Yeah. Um wandering that they're doing or wherever they're going mm-hmm. um 
And uh, they think that maybe she went to Essos. Yep. Yeah. Potentially went to Essos somewhere. So they're start. They're going to start searching there. Uh, and meanwhile, Alyssa Farman's boat is finished. Yay! Yay! Her boat, the Sun Chaser. It's done. Sun Chaser sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. It's a big boat. It's got four masts. Yep. And it can hold all this stuff. Designed and... for long voyages. Um, how very not plot relevant at all. Well, someone asks her, are you going to sail the E.T.? And she goes, maybe, but not the route you think. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Tell me more, Alyssa. Where are you going with that giant boat that you can hold a lot of supplies in? You're going to go become a magic lady? That's important later? Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's going to develop a, a taste for lacquer masks and cryptic <laughs> sayings. Don't we all already have taste for lacquer masks? <laughs> that's just a queer woman thing or a queer person thing it's just lacquer mask like that's very dramatic like a lacquer mask yeah any kind of dramatic clothing yeah do not per- do not perceive me um as my perceive me only as the you know the facade as the lacquer mask <laughs> yes pay um, no attention to the queer behind the mask oh my gosh i love it um also as a neurodivergent person i'm going like pay no attention to the, the adhd person behind the mask i am just asking Anyway, um, Jaharis is, uh, he, I mean, last time he finished his big project. He finished the Dragon Pit. So you, so what do you know? He's got to have a new project. And his new project is just, I don't know, redoing all the laws. Yo, fuck these laws. All the laws in Westeros. He's like, you know what? I want to redo, just overhaul the entire fucking legal system. Do it all. Why not? My favorite section, if I could just read this. Yes. It's on page 237. Um about the laws and so i'm going to read it and i'll tell you why it's my favorite oft as not the laws changed as well the king was stern this king was stern this king was merciful this one looked to the seven pointed star for guidance this one held to ancient laws of the first men this one rules by whim the other went one way went sober another went drunk after thousands of years the result was such a massive contradictory precedent that every lord possessed of the power of pit and gallows felt free to rule however he might wish on any case that came before his seat um, same in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can speak from personal experience. The way that it describes kings, I'm like, well, that's one of the judges I know. And that's one of the judges I know. This judge was stern. This judge was merciful. This judge looked to others for guidance. This one held to the ancient laws. This one ruled by whim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's welcome it. to the that's U.S. It. legal system. And yep. I like that a massive contradictory precedence. Like, again, yes, welcome to the yep. U.S. legal system. Welcome. <laughs> if you want to find a precedent for your case, you can probably find one. You absolutely can. Laws can mean anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, Caroline. I thought that th- I thought that like Supreme Court judges were just neutral umpires who just called balls and strikes. Yeah. So definitely. <laughs> definitely it. Definitely Sorry. not the most inaccurate description of the Supreme Court ever. <laughs> I listen to a podcast called uh, The 5-4. Shout out to The 5-4. I'm sure that nice. none of you, none of them listen to this, but I fucking love The 5-4. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about how much the, the Supreme Court sucks. Yeah, it does. It super does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they all do. That's the thing. Is like Judges are just people. They're not fancy. Yeah. And they have the same flaws as everyone else. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes worse because you gave them power. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah. So uh, Jaharis looks at that and is like, you know what? I can fix that. Um, that's my and new, new project. Too, yeah, new project. Mm-hmm. Laws. Gonna redo all the laws. Yep. Because uh, he's uh, fidgety and his last project's done, and he can't he can't build anything else now. So you know, let's let's mm-hmm. work on some laws. 
And he they also refer, the text refers to this as he does this with his smaller council. Uh-huh. So it's only some of the small council. Yep. And I want to know the drama story behind that. I'm like, why do you... I mean, I get why Alisan is part of that smaller council. Like, that's your wife. Like, mm-hmm. okay. But, like, why are you, like, leaving other people from the small council out of this project? Like, did they not want to be on this project? Are these, like, your besties? You know, like, what's mm-hmm. happening? <laughs> what's the drama story behind this, please? Ooh. I want to know. <laughs> what's the tea? Mm. Um, so, the, okay, there were a couple of points in this section that I was like, wow, this sure is jumping around a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, here's a paragraph about how Alice Ann broke her some marriages, and then we're going to move on to, like, some paragraphs about attorney, and then we'll move on to some, like, it was just like it, mm-hmm. it, this section, more than some of the last few that we've read, felt like it was, like, a bit of an info dump of, like, disconnected things that are happening that they're just kind of, like, throwing in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, yeah, Alisanne broke her some marriages. Um, they have attorney. It was fun. It, it was a good attorney. It was fun. Um, Martin had fun with some of the names. Mm-hmm. I just want to shout out Sir Guile the Cunning. Like, thank you, George. Thank you <laughs> so much. What are, you trying to, what are you trying to say, Gretchen? What are you trying to say? <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> What's wrong with Guile the Cunning? I don't understand. It seems... It's a perfectly normal name. I like the Harry the Ham. Yeah, that Harry the Ham. Harry the Ham. That's a good one. Uh-huh. Luca Moore Strong. Isn't Luca Moore Strong going to be important at some point? I can't remember. I, I put a pin in that. I think Luca Moore Strong in the okay. future is, is important, but we, might I could be, be wrong. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think basically they were trying to fill time. Uh, the other thing, too, is like, like George R. R. Martin wrote A Song of Ice and Fire proper first. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that have to exist by then right. that he needs to get done in this history. Mm-hmm. So, like, some somebody has to build the dragon pit, right? Because we know about it in the Song of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody has to build roads. Someone has to make laws, whatever. So he just dumped a lot of this yep. into Jaehaerys and Allison. It was like, oh, they were so good. They did all these things. Mm-hmm. They, they built, they built, they made laws, they did the things, you know. Mm-hmm. Though it does make me wonder what the prior master of laws were doing. With the men that filled the master of laws position on the small council, yeah, like, right. Was it was it just like a vanity position where you're like, we know you don't do anything, you just kind of sit there and are like, right, yes, like, I am they... in charge of laws. Like if they're not settling, like ideally, that like, someone in that position would be settling disputes between mm-hmm. like large areas, right? You know, or like like the like the liege lords would be taking care of like the disputes within their lands and then if there were disputes between like two uh-huh. places then the crown would get involved you know yeah but we don't have any idea what the master mm-hmm. boss doing for so um so yeah like yeah they have attorney it's cool um then um alisanne is going to dragonstone to have another baby mm-hmm. um jaharis goes on progress to the westerlands but skips Fair Isle. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Does he knows it... how to make his statement without making a direct threat. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, because that's one of the things when Raina's out and about, she goes to Fair Isle and, like... She threatens Lord Farman. Directly threatens Lord Farman, yeah. Mark. Mark with a Q. Mm-hmm. Marqua. Marqua. <laughs> um, Marqua. <laughs> um, but uh, Harris, uh returns in time for the baby to be born. And it's a and I it's a little boy. Here. Listen, that's literally what I thought. Okay, so like 
uh, Alisan gives birth to baby Eamon. Um, and he's a beautiful baby. He's got pretty white gold hair and his eyes are pale as lilac. He's a very special boy. Um, And then it says, um, you know, everyone's super excited. The small folk are lining the streets outside the Red Keep um, so that they could maybe hope to see the tiny baby. I don't know how that works because, you Mm -hmm. know, how would you see a tiny baby? Um, But it says, hearing their chants and cheers, the king finally mounted the ramparts of the castle's main gate and raised the boy over his head for all to see. I was like, oh, like the Lion King. Yeah. (laughs) Having a cool Lion King moment. Just like (laughs) holding the baby up for everyone to look at. He's like, look, I made this. Are you familiar with the Awkward Yeti, the web cartoonist? I don't think so, maybe. Okay. But anyway, he's got this whole joke about the gallbladder. Like, he, he like, personifies body parts, and they have conversations uh-huh. with each other. And, like, gall, uh, the gallbladder is this, like, really, like, derpy, sad kind of childish character. And there's a point where, like, gallbladder goes to the kidney and is, like, holding a bunch of stones and goes, like, I made these. <laughs> And so when you said I made this, I thought of like King Harris going like I made this, holding his baby. Alice is like behind him, patting his shoulder, like "Yes, sweetie, you did make that. Good job. Good job, honey. You made a boy. Yeah, yeah hold him up. Yeah, this is great. Don't drop him. Please don't drop him. Please don't drop the baby. That was, the, of course, the other thing I'm thinking of with this Lion King moment is like he's on the top of the ramparts holding a baby child. That's. I was like, is he holding it like over? Like, is it like where is where is the holding happening? I had the same thought. And the baby's only like a month old. I'm like, bring that baby inside. Yep. You don't. You don't have vaccines yet. Like, what are you doing? Do you know how suddenly babies can jerk around at that age because they have no control over their, yes. like, muscles or tendons? Babies, <laughs> babies that small intentionally yeet themselves all over the place. Right. They are so wiggly. Yeah. And I'm just like, you can't leave it alone anywhere. And you got to be careful. you got to be careful. Yeah. Don't hold a baby up off of the walls of your castle. It might just, like, jerk itself out of your hands and, oops, there goes the air, you know? That would be really, really sad if that Ooh. happened. <laughs> yeah yikes <laughs> yikes but it is yeah it is a lion king moment so it was funny after yeah. that lion king moment it says the roar went up across the narrow sea and i was like george are you doing a thing george i think he is uh, i think he is i think he knows exactly what he's doing mm-hmm. at all given times all right so oh, that's what okay. happens that's what happens uh what was the master thinking ah so this is a thing that we haven't really seen as much yet or at least it's mm-hmm. been super subtle that like um, it's an it's a really ancient association that like Martin plays with that like the king and the land are one and the same. So like mm-hmm. as goes the land, like that that the land the prosperity or lack thereof in the land is a representation of the king and how good he is. And so like Martin is playing with this a lot. We see this in other parts of Fire and Blood and A Song of Ice and Fire and um, The World of Ice and Fire that this idea that like. Um, you know, if the if the king is a good king, then your land will prosper, and if the king is a bad king, then like things are gonna you you'll have like famine and war, and like that those are a reflection of like the moral rectitude of the king. Mm. That's actually a theme that is ac- actually present in the movie The Lion King. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, because uh, when Scar takes over, mm-hmm. there's like a drought. Yes, 
Yep. And even as a child, I think I mentioned this before on the podcast, as a child, my mom pointed out to me, she was like, it's really unfair that he's getting like the blame for there not being any food because it's not his fault there's a drought. No. And I'm like, it really isn't his fault. Mm-mm. This is probably just like the dry season when he happens to be ruling and then Simba takes over and it rains. Yeah. Right. And when Simba's like the, the proper, like the rightful king coming back, like it begins to rain and the land flourishes or whatever. And uh-huh. I'm like, like, that's really, that's like really divine right of you, isn't it? Disney? Yes. Right. <laughs> and we're getting that in this chapter. Like the very opening mm-hmm. section is basically like, wow, the land is doing super well. And you know why? Good King Jaharis. He's so good. He's oh, so it's his, good. Of course, it's his goodness. I forgot about the goodness. Right. Ugh. Yes, so, like, the idea being that you can look at the peace and prosperity of, like, the realm as a sign Mm -hmm. that Jaehaerys is a good king. So, like, Mm -hmm. rather than saying, well, what policies did he implement and what were the circumstances? It's like, well, the land's doing well, so the king must be a good one. Mm -hmm. I mean, in in some defense to that weird logic loop, um, if you break it down and talk about policy... There is some truth to that. Yeah. But it's what's happening, I think, is the text is simplifying it to say good king, good land, good king, Mm -hmm. good king, good land. And not saying like, well, the land is good because the king is not crazy and he's not doing unnecessarily, unnecessary wars. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. and he's not doing violence to his people, you know, whatever. Because like, I think Aegon, they probably would all think was a good king, right? Aegon the Conqueror. Mm -hmm. Um, But he like burned... A lot of Westeros. <laughs> right. There was one battle called the Field of Fire. Mm-hmm. He burned the field of right. wheat. You know? Or even so, like Robert Baratheon. A lot of Robert's mm-hmm. reign was like superficially prosperous and safe. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because when Rob, after King Robert dies, and you see the devolution of like, well, it's no longer safe to walk on the king's road. Like mm-hmm. it was when Robert was king. And like the people in Westeros are making assumptions about the like the goodness of the king based on their experience in the kingdom. Yeah. And it's like sure Robert's reign was like superficially really prosperous, but like we find out underneath it all like that the crown is mostly bankrupt, that like mm-hmm. he wasn't actually even doing anything. Um and that like a lot of the things that we see falling apart after he dies are things that were like true during his reign, they had just managed to kind of hold it together long enough. Mm-hmm. It wasn't being exploited because no one was trying to take over. Yeah. 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 So, mm-hmm. like, I think that as much as Gildane might be trying to make us think, oh, yeah, you know, look, the, the land is so prosperous, and that's because Jaehaerys is such a good king. The question mm-hmm. is, does Martin believe that? A, does Martin believe that? Um, Is he trying to get us to question that? You know, mm-hmm. like, especially with things like Robert. Like, when he draws on this idea that, like, as the land goes like the land is a reflection of like the quality of king you have like mm-hmm. when is he taking when are we supposed to take that at face value like when is martin like kind of agreeing with that and when is he getting us to question it um mm-hmm. and i think that right now it's harder to see but i want to keep that in mind as we continue to look at jaharis's reign is like does the fact that the country is not at war and is prospering mean that he's a good person or even a good mm. king i i tend to think that martin 95 percent of the time does not want us to take things at face value mm-hmm. i think that's like the fun thing about his writing is that he mm-hmm. wants you to question it um 
if not begging you to question certain things right. in the story. So my guess is that he does not agree. Like, he personally, as an author, does not agree with that. But Gildane does. Mm-hmm. Right. Gildane. And then that's easy for Gildane to agree with. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, again, it's that hindsight thing. He yep. knows that this rain turns out really well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, everything is prosperous. And we can thank Jaharis for that. Right. Because, yeah. like, the year of the stranger. If the year of the stranger had happened at the beginning of Magor's reign, it would have been like, yep, we should have known that things were going to go south because look at all the people dying at the beginning of his reign. Yep. But, like, yep. the year of the stranger happens at the beginning of Jaharis's reign. And it's like, wow, what a sad thing that we very quickly got over. Yep. That was sad. Let's move on. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on yep. and have a tourney and party because things are great. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually, I have questions about the weather also when it comes to Harris's reign. Uh-huh. <laughs> because I don't, I don't totally understand how weather in Westeros works. I think part of it is that it works based on what the plot needs it to do yes. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they, they mention, like, autumn harvests and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But there's... There so far in this story has never been a mention of like, and then it was winter and it was really fucking cold and we couldn't do anything, you know? I think some of that is that most of this story takes place in King's Landing or like around King's Landing and the weather is, that's not as far north. I don't know that it ever but doesn't gets it, it snow, it shut does down snow. cold. I don't know. I thought that like when like the because like the long summers are like many years, right? They're like like the the summer when we pick up in in mm-hmm. a Game of Thrones has been like eight years or whatever. Um, I thought that the winters were then supposed to come and also be long, and that would be like winter everywhere, but not like not. I mean, obviously it's colder in the north. The north is like really heavily hit, as we see in A Song mm-hmm. of Ice and Fire, how like snowed in they get at Winterfell when they're snowbound. Um, but I don't know. But then there's also just mentions of, like, fall harvest. And I'm like, are you saying fall harvest? Like, because it mentions fall harvest at the end of the year. Yeah. And I'm like, are there, like, still, are you still counting it as, like, a calendar of four seasons within the year? But there's, like, an overarching yeah. summer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, like summer means two things. Summer means both, like, the warmest part of the year, of a calendar right. year. And also, like... If you have a series of years that are really warm, that would be a summer. Yeah. Even though there might be some fluctuation within the temperature mention, within those years. There's mention, not in this text, but I think it's in A Song of Ice and Fire, of summer snows. Yeah. And, like, the cool summer snows in the north. And yeah. I'm like... There has to be some... Yeah, you're right. I don't really understand Westeros weather either. But there... Because there has to be some fluctuation in temperature... In order for food to grow. Right. Like, if you literally had years of summer the way that we understand summer, you wouldn't get food. Well, no, I mean, you would have continuous crop growth. Right, but, it, like, you it would, would just... Yeah, I mean, you would never reach harvest time. And, like, some foods would never grow. Like, certain foods require, mm-hmm. like, the change in temperature, you know, like mm-hmm. app- like apples grow, don't grow in high summer. They grow in early autumn. Yeah. So, like, if you literally just had, like, five years where it was, like, 80 degrees all the time year-round, mm-hmm. there are certain foods you wouldn't have. Yeah. But they, they seem to have the kind of foods you would... I that, That's what I'm saying. I was like, I've always right. been a little confused about the seasons thing. Except for that, like, when the White Walkers come, it's Magic Winter. Mm-hmm. That I, I get. I understand Magic Winter. But there's also, like, this, like, 
and I think Kylie and Julia talked about this once on Unabashed Book Snobbery about how there seems to be like seasons within the long seasons. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like wondering, like, are we in a long summer? Oh, right. Yeah. When it says autumn, is this a yearly autumn or is this or an overarching like, autumn? Yeah, a big autumn. Yeah. Is this a small right. autumn? Right. Is, is it a little autumn or a big autumn? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of autumn is it? <laughs> No, that's a really good question. No. I don't know. You're right. I don't the text know. Hasn't I, given I don't us know. any sense of like. And I guess it doesn't matter as much south of the neck because it isn't as cold mm-hmm. as the north. Like in the north, it really matters what season it is because mm-hmm. they need to be like prepped. Yeah. But um, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so damn, this just makes me want to play RimWorld. I have a RimWorld file where, where they live in the snow and I have to prep for the winter. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, people have, like, of course that there are, like, I have read some fan theories about, like, why the weather is this way and whether or not it's related to the possibility that, like, whatever planet this is on once had two moons and one of them got destroyed. Um, oh, interesting. And that, like, maybe losing a moon is part of, like, the shifting of the weather, you know? Like, that, like in oh. terms of, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to think astrophysics, like, that losing... I always want to think about astrophysics. Yeah, that's a great topic the, for me. Losing one of the orbiting <laughs> bodies may have fucked up the... It's, you know, whatever mm. planet this is, its orbit around the sun and, and the axis that it tilts on. So you might get, you know times where it was tilted closer to the sun and have a lot of years where it's overall warmer and then it moves like that you know losing oh. the orbiting body might have shifted the the planetary tilt and the axis in oh. some way um i personally like the uh, conical westeros theory do you remember that from uh pigot no. oh <laughs> oh gosh it's been so long uh plug pigot post game of thrones if you guys like yes. this analysis you probably would like oh, pigot that's great um we love pigot uh, post Game of Thrones, they do a, a segment every episode called Warg of the Week. Yes. Where where uh, one of the hosts comes up, Brooks comes up with like a, a crazy conspiracy theory kind of thing. And uh, his one of his theories was, um, I think he called it Conical Westeros. And the theory was that Westeros is shaped like a cone, like with a point. Uh-huh. And that like Old Town is at the point. And that's why like, and like, and then like the North is at the bottom of this cone. And that's why it's, like, cold at the bottom, but warm in Old Town and, like, time warps in a certain way. And the purpose <laughs> the purpose of the theory was to explain the aging of baby Sam. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's why I, I love so I love Conoco Westeros theory. Conoco and, like, the, the traveling, like, the fast traveling. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Little fingers. So, never mind. Warm. That's it. That's it. That's the, I forget about my whole question about the seasons. It's, 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 Con- it's Conoco Westeros. Westeros. I forgot. Um, <laughs> anyway. But yeah, getting back to it, I was talking, we were talking about selection bias, um, yeah. which is both the Archmaester and the people of Westeros are using selection bias when they think about what makes a good or bad king. Like, for Jaehaerys, like, they're overlooking the bad years, um, mm-hmm. because it, like, literally says something about, um, at the very beginning yeah, of this chapter. There were bad years, but for every bad year, there was, like, 10,000 yep. good years, mm-hmm. and when people looked back on it, they thought of it as one long green summer or something like that. Yeah, and, like, that's selection bias. Mm-hmm. Um, and very often our brains are more likely to selection bias in favor of the negative. Um, just because yes. we're like, we're bra- like our brains are, um, the way that we've functioned for many, many thousands of years as humans is like, we need to be aware of danger, <laughs> like mm-hmm. gotta be aware of what can hurt us. So we're more likely to remember like, wow, these 10 bad things happened and not like, but also 20 good things happened. 
Um, well, that's why they say psychologically, for every one bad thing you do, you have to do four things to make up for it. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're, like, you know, late to work or something, you know, it takes, like, four days of you being on time to make up. Right. And, like, for, other, for it to make an impact that you've changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think the same thing is happening with, like, remembering mostly the good like remember like more likely to remember the good thing that happens during to harris's reign like the year of the strangers very quickly swept away under like is very quickly forgotten because of you know years of success versus something yeah. like Megor the cruel where like they were more likely to remember all of the bad things and like we had to kind of pick through and be like hey wait but like this actually seems like it would be like a good thing actually or you know mm-hmm. um or this isn't as bad as you think it is or this isn't his fault Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That there's some like selection bias happening with how kings are remembered and how much it, it strikes me in something like this, like how much depends on the good or bad faith of the people of the realm and the historian telling the story, like what, mm-hmm. how a king is depicted has so much to do with how much good or bad faith exists around yeah. them as a, as a person. Um, it's almost like the victors write history. Mm hmm. Hmm. right i see what you're doing george (laughs) um yeah and then the final thing that the maester was talking about is just the thing that i always get really annoyed about that martin brings up is the like you know it was uh something about the king's labors oh yeah like the king's labors but would take uh the king's labors would continue for many years to come this is talking about the laws the king's Hmm. labors would continue for many years to come the queens for nine turns of the moon. I'm like, ah, yes. Which, ah, yes. Childbirth and childbearing. The woman's labors. That doesn't even make sense because she wasn't laboring for nine months. Thank you. Also, and yes. also, also, she raises the kids afterwards. So the labor doesn't end upon delivery. Like, the, the comparison makes no sense. Very silly. Um, but it's the kind of thing that Silly Maester Gildane would yeah, say. Yeah, the Silly Maester Gildane. Yeah. Yes, exactly. About yeah. like, yes. The, the king's labors, the king labored to build laws. We're going to forget that Queen Alisanne was part of the smaller the smaller council who was also involved in those laws. So the queen's yeah. labors are only mm-hmm. about the baby. Yeah. Just the baby. And the fact that Alisanne's the only one who has made laws up until this point. Mm-hmm. But no, 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 no. Jaharis made oh, I'm laws. sorry. She didn't make the laws. She could, She didn't have the power. She to. just Jaharis told him. Did. She told him what laws to make. Right, right. Silly. Which is not the same as making the laws. Silly me. Totally different. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So All right. Let's get into what really happened, or what we think could have happened. Oh, let's talk about Balerion and Arya. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So people seem to think that like Balerion, like you were saying, is the one driving the bus. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think so at all. I think that the the text even mentions that like if if like if she had fallen off mm-hmm. Balerion would have just come home because that's like where his nest is yep um i completely agree mm-hmm. i think it, even and if he was driving the bus he would have just flown back home right because that's where his nest is right yes so but they can't give any agency to this 13 year old mm-hmm. girl being and there is this quite kind of like pattern that actually julia pointed out on Anabash book snobbery um that there is a pattern in the story of the tiniest girls claiming the biggest dragons. Uh-huh. And that being so directly threatening yeah. to the patriarchy. That uh-huh. just being so, so threatening, man. Uh-huh. Like, 
and I think, yeah, she took him and my guess is that she chose exactly where she wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll find out in subsequent sections where that is. Yep. But I don't think that she went anywhere because he forced her or anything like that. Yeah, and that's a thing. And that's a theory that I've heard floating around the fandom a lot. It seems like the fandom, that, like at least in the sections of the fandom that I've kind of looked in, a lot of them buy into the, ma- the, the, the assumptions that are being made in the text, which is like, well... I mean, he's a Balerian's a big giant dragon. You're telling me a 13 year old girl could tell him what to do? Like he's clearly the one in charge. But like when you think about it, you're like, no, because because why would he go anywhere but Dragonstone? Right, he lives on Dragonstone. Right, like Balerion has showed no interest in going anywhere other than his den, basically mm-hmm. since Aegon the Conqueror died. He just hangs yeah. out. Like Balerion's starting to get old and just right. kind of hanging out and like is like in dragon retirement. Probably just like it's, eating and staying around the Dragonstone or wherever his nest is. Right. It's like if I'm like hanging out, my niece is like almost two. Yeah. If I'm hanging out with my niece and she wants to go to the local park, I take her to the park. Uh-huh. Because she asked and she's two and I want to do, do things she wants to do. Right. We didn't go to the park because I decided I'm going to the park and I'm taking you along. Uh-huh. If it was up to me, I'd lay on the couch. <laughs> but we're going to the park because she wants to go to the park. That That's exactly what's happening with Balerion. Uh-huh. Right. So it, like, stands to reason that if they go anywhere that is not back to Balerion's den, that that is where Arya wanted to go. Right. Yes, I'm I think glad. that's really I'm obvious. I'm so I don't, I, I, like, yes. I, I didn't know there were fans that didn't think that. I think that's it's a glaringly obvious on Peach. Right. Yes. That, like, she's the one directing this thing. Right, exactly. Um, but I really like the description. So this goes back into what um, a little bit of last week um, mm-hmm. with Reyna, because I really like the description that um, um, where it says dragons were not vagabond by nature. Mm. More often than not, they find a sheltered spot, a cave or ruined castle or mountaintop and nest there, going forth to hunt and thence return. And like I was reading that and like remembering the description of Reyna going into the wild and lonely places. Mm-hmm. And being like, yeah, this is just like Reyna and Arya right now are a couple of like wandering dragons. Oh, that's actually really beautiful. They're both yeah, like wandering and home. Like, like they don't have a home. Yeah, yeah. They're looking you know? for a home, a place where they can belong. And like both of them are literally doing yeah. the same thing right now. Huh. And they each of them don't have a home because of the other. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Oh, my heart. I know, it's so good. (laughs) Oh. HBO, Uh make it a show. (laughs) This is so good. Um, Yeah, which I think is a really good transition to talking about Reyna and what Reyna's doing in this section. Um, Like I said. You had the question of, like, why is she doing this? I had a question of why is she looking for Arya? Yeah, why is she looking for Arya? Yeah. So I, I understand her wandering around aimlessly in Westeros on her dragon because honestly that feels like the vibe of literally any day of the week. I would, if I had the opportunity, would do that at any given time. Mm-hmm. The closest I can get to that is driving somewhere far away in my car. And I love that. If she yeah. could, she'd have headphones on, listening to like yeah. sad music. It's like simple plan or something. Uh-huh. Um yeah, so the the wandering around, I understand. It's the it's the initially going to look for her that mm-hmm. I don't get. I get going to look for Balerion. Yep. And I'm actually surprised that Jaehaerys isn't more, like, gung-ho about going to look for Balerion. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got a dragon. Alice, I mean, Alicent's pregnant right now, so okay, maybe she doesn't want to go flying around. 
But if I was Jaharis, I'd hop on my dragon and also start doing loops, you know? Right. Because that's the biggest, most powerful dragon. And it's somewhere. Uh-huh. You know? Like, that's a really fucking important dragon. Right. Like, you gotta get that one. So I get looking for Valerium. But, like, Reyna... I mean, the, what, the thing we've been highlighting is that Reyna's relationship with Arya is not only non it's not that it's non-existent it's that it's it's particularly toxic and negative for both of them mm-hmm. so why does she want to find her so bad i will tell you if i were writing this story i would make it that her children are all she has left mhm um i would write this as a like some some level of oh shit i done fucked up mm-hmm. um and now you know i've lost everybody including my daughter and there are a lot of people that i can't get back like most mm. of the people who are gone i can't get back but maybe i can get my daughter back mm. um i would put some level of that into it and some level of just like um desperation like a personal desperation of i don't have anybody left Mm. um and that this is kind of that there that there might be some measure of like she genuinely wants to maybe reconnect with her daughter but a lot of this is about her own grief and loss and having nobody Mm. having nobody left to her and so the only and the and that the only thing she can do about it is try and get Arya back like she because she goes mm. to visit Rayella. yeah and Rayella says something that like sounds sweet but is actually really mean and like also kind Ra- of like fucked up <laughs> yeah Reyna's like Reyna apologizes she's like I'm sorry I wasn't like a mom to you uh-huh and Rayella's like it's all good because I have the best mother ever the mother above yep and it's like wow dude fuck you yeah she's basically like well I have Jesus now and that's okay yeah exactly um, but that moment where she goes to mm-hmm. Riella and says, I'm sorry I wasn't a better mother to you, makes me feel like some part of this is about once everyone around her was dead, that she had, I, if I were creating, like, doing the television version, I would have her have a moment of, like, oh, fuck, what have I done? Mm-hmm. What have I done? I've lost, like, I lost everyone. Like, in my attempt mm-hmm. to control, to, like, protect myself from loss, I still ended up losing everyone. And I drove my own daughter away. And I wonder if you could tease that out with, like, because what happens is they have, like, a like an argument the night before. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, Arya takes Valeria and runs. Yep. So if you script that conversation mm-hmm. in such a way where maybe Reyna says some, like, mean shit to Arya. Mm-hmm. And... Fe- either causes Arya to that to be the last straw and Arya runs mm-hmm. or Reyna interprets it as the reason yep. Arya runs if she thinks this is my fault yep like this like like this is my fault very specifically like I said this and she ran away mm-hmm. like I told her to get out and she did or something like yep. that yep you know yeah yeah that there's uh, gonna be a complicated mix of like grief and genuine remorse but also guilt yeah um and that like it it because this reads to me like a like a desperate woman's attempt to like this is the only thing I have left and I have to and I have to like mm-hmm. I can't and I just think there's also, lose this again. Yeah, there's and also may- an ooh, interesting ooh, and maybe mm-hmm. even 
it would be really interesting to create a callback to when Elissa left. Yeah. Ooh. That like, yeah. when Elissa left, she didn't go after her. She let her leave. Oh. And at this point, she's like, I can't do that again. Yeah. So she's also oh, like, like that making up for the fact that like the last time someone she loved less left her, she didn't do anything about it and she regrets mm-hmm. it. And so this time she's going to refuse to just let Arya leave the way that mm-hmm. she let, let Alyssa leave. So like visually in a show, you could do some really interesting like cuts of like the older scene. Or even just blocking in the same room. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, having the kind of the same or even some of the same dialogue. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. and I wonder, like, because both, because both Arya and Alyssa wanted to leave. They wanted to go be like adventurous or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Arya could easily say things like, "You can't trap me here." Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't. I can't live here anymore. Mm-hmm. I need to go. Right. You know, I hate it here. I hate you. Like whatever kind yep. of shit. Oh. and I think also with with Reyna, there's an interesting, particularly with Arya, there's an interesting like duality where she's keeping Arya there. But also pushing Arya away, mm-hmm. like emotionally. Yep. Like she's physically keeping her there, but she's pushing her away emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think you probably could read the same thing into her relationship with Alyssa, mm-hmm. that she wanted Alyssa to stay, but Reyna wasn't interested in Alyssa, Alyssa's full personhood. Right. Right? Because part of Alyssa's personhood was being a seafarer. That was like her thing. Mm-hmm. That was her passion. That was where her heart was. And a, a healthy girlfriend would have said, you want a ship, sweetie? Sure. We'll build you the the biggest, best, safest ship. You go on your adventure. You come back mm-hmm. when you're done with your adventure. Right. I'll be here, you know. Uh, and instead, it's like that controlling aspect of like, no, you stay here no matter what. Right. And I'm, but I'm not going to be emotionally available to you or really care about your emotions at all mm-hmm. in this. And both of them flee. Oh, I love that. I like that parallel. Right. And I also just realized, I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but I like the idea that, like, part of what is, um, I need you to stay and not go off on your adventures is a, is a reaction to what happened with Aegon. Yeah. That, like, the, yeah. But, like the first time that someone was like, I want to go. He's ha- like, I want- I'll be back, sweetie. And then he got eaten by a dragon. Yeah, like, <laughs> I want to go have it. I mean, it's different because it's like, I want to go take my throne. But, like, it's basically, like, I feel called to something that involves, like, adventure and danger. Mm -hmm. Um, And she let him go, and he ended up eaten by a dragon. Mm -hmm. That, like, I could see that part of what she's doing with Alyssa and Arya is a, like, well, the last time I let someone just, like, wander off into danger, they died. Yeah. But, like, I don't know how to talk about that or explain that, so, like, I'm just going to keep you here, but, like, I can't tell you how I feel. Like, I, you know, but she still can't actually have a healthy conversation about why it is she feels that way right um you know it would be cool too in our in our headcanon adaptation fair winds the uh, the story of Alyssa farman uh-huh um timeline wise Alyssa and and aria would be in essos at the same time right now mm-hmm. it would be cool if they interacted mm-hmm. i don't know how they could but it would be cool if they interacted in some in some fashion because we know, I mean, you and I know where Arya ends up, and in future sections, we'll talk about the decision to go there. Uh huh. But I don't know. Maybe Alyssa was part of the decision to go there. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, we like we don't know where yeah. Balerion stopped in between Dragonstone and where Balerion goes, where Balerion and yeah. Arya go. Um yeah. but yeah, there like there could be like yes, in like a visual adaptation, you could have like a like a scene where Arya ends up talking to Elissa and Westeros and they talk about like their feelings about leaving Reyna behind and not looking mm-hmm. back and you know, kind of what that's like. And that could be a really mm-hmm. cool scene between the two of them. Of Alyssa, ju- of Alyssa just saying, like, now's your chance to, like, go do a thing. Go where you, you know, like. Or does Alyssa say, you have to go home? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Does Alyssa say, like, you have to go home. Your mom must be, like, worried sick. And then Arya could be like, well, what the fuck about you? Uh-huh. You, you left. You, you left. Like, I'm not going to listen to you. You left. And you left me behind. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be here on the world's biggest dragon if you had taken me with you. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Ugh. Come on, HBO. We have so many ideas. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Like, because the other thing about Raina is I do, like I've said a couple times, I do think that, like, she's also getting something personal out of this experience that's not just about wanting to get her daughter back. Or, you know, like, yeah. as we're building this, like, portrait of Raina, like, desperate to maybe undo some of her previous choices and feeling guilty Mm -hmm. about driving people away that like also some of this again if i were writing this like some of this would be about the fact that she's finally getting something that she needs that Mm -hmm. like something that may begin with like a desperate need to find her daughter and you know that she would realize at some point along the way like you know, because I can imagine some people would be like, just go home. Wait for Arya to come back. Yeah. Like, what, what would happen? Like, what are you going to accomplish wandering around in these places? Like, you don't know where she is. Like, this is kind of a fruitless search. Why don't you just sit and wait for her to come back? That I can imagine, like, that at some point Reyna would be like, I'm getting something about, like, being away from everyone. And being away from Dragonstone where all of this trauma just occurred. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Like, her friends, her favorites, whatever, you know, her girlfriends, etc., like, literally died in her arms there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, literally, that's the description. Uh-huh. Um, that's gotta be, like, a really haunted place for her now. hmm And, like, that's where her daughter ran from. Like, there's just, it's so, she can't go to King's Landing because mm-hmm. of the trauma associated with that. She can't go back to Dragonstone. Yeah. Because, I mean, just to be there where it's so empty. Yeah. And, like, where else can she go? She doesn't have a right. home. That's the thing. That's that's what we can, keeps coming up with Raina. She doesn't have a home. Right. She's, she's exactly. a queen without a kingdom and, like, a like a person without a home. Like, she doesn't mm-hmm. have a place to belong because the only places that are available to her are, are filled with trauma. Right. Exactly. Oh. I do, I do love the concept of, like, the wandering queen on her dragon. It's just mm-hmm. fantastic. Right. Right, which creates some really interesting parallels, again, with Daenerys. Um, at the end yeah. of A Dance with Dragons, where she's just, she has left behind her throne and is also in this kind of, like, wandering. Wandering with a big black dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wandering around Essos with a big black dragon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does sound familiar, doesn't it? Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I think Martin might only have a few ideas and. Copy-pasting them. Can't plagiarize yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of Targaryens, there's this really ominous quote that I really like. 
um, mm-hmm. when Alyssa Farman is in Essos and getting her ship ready. Um, and the Sea Lord of Bravos goes to her and is like, uh, maybe you should get out of town. Maybe you should leave. Mm-hmm. Um, because people are hunting you. People are asking questions. Uh, we really would rather you not be found here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he says, we came here to be free of old Valyria and your Targaryens are Valyrian to the bone. Sail far, mm. sail fast. And it was just that Ooh. like, oh, it just sounds so ominous. Your Targaryens are Valyrian to the bone. Of like, it does. And like what that represents for coming from someone from Bravos, from the free mm. cities. Precisely because, you know, it they don't talk about it in Fire and Blood, but the free cities were formerly were like cities established by people who had formerly been enslaved by the Valyrian Empire. Mm-hmm. So these are like the people, like mm-hmm. these are the people who descended from former slaves going like, the t- like we know what the Valyrians were like, what they did to like our ancestors. And like, we're looking at the Targaryens and going, oh, we know what that is. We know who they yeah. are. Like we recognize yeah. these like imperialist. Like, dragon lords. Dragon lords. That a dragon, there is no safe version of Dragon Lord. No. <laughs> there is no good version of Dragon Lord, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, even if Jaehaerys seems like a very nice boy, still a Dragon Lord, uh-huh. you know, and not going to ultimately be good. Oh, which makes me question Daenerys. Daenerys winning the Iron Throne is not the good ending. Mm. I love Daenerys. I'm such a Daenerys stan. I, do like I just Daenerys. want happiness for her. Hashtag one Targaryen. <laughs> hashtag not all targaryens not all targaryens <laughs> um, alright so then we have Jaehaerys right yes as I as I have internally dubbed him the king who didn't like to sit still <laughs> yep because <laughs> um, he is he's very restless and like the, the maester called it out of like you know Jaehaerys was like a wandering king he was on progress all the time and I'm like it's not just that he's in progress all the time like dude can't sit still yeah. He's always doing something. Yeah. He's got shit to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think this is more um, uh, an artifact of the fact that certain things had to be done in Targaryen history mm-hmm. for A Song of Ice and Fire to happen. Right. And you could spread that. I mean, this is, again, too, I think that Jaehaerys' long reign mm-hmm. and out the, their long lives is also an artifact of that. Yeah. You know, the fact that they both live, you know, <clears throat> long lives, historically... Um, it's easier to put all of these things in to one king and queen and just have them do it all than it is to write, like, three or four. Uh-huh. Which would have been, like, more realistic, right? Like, realistic, quote-unquote, right. in a medieval setting for, like, the lifespans to have been shorter. Mm-hmm. And for there to be, like, at least two, if not three rulers in the same time span. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But it's just, like... I get it. It's easier to write one mm-hmm. than it is to write three. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm okay I, with it. I agree with you that, like, the Doyleist explanation is, like, Martin just needed a bunch of stuff to happen. And so it was, like, mm-hmm. and it's, and you're right. It's much easier to be, like, this one king who reigned for a really long time um, built all the shit. Yeah. Because, because he the had the All the roads in King's Landing. Dragon Pit, roads, laws, King's Road. We're going to, I forget if he started the King's Road yet in the place we're at mm-hmm. in the books. Nope. But like the like the whole road says. I mean, there's things that are necessary that need to exist in Westeros uh-huh. that like just somebody has to do them, right? right. And like, yeah, I mean, that, but that works in characterization wise for Jaehaerys to be um, 
a project-oriented kind of person. Yeah. And to have access to be able to do those sorts of things. Yeah, I was I was thinking I enjoy the, like, potential Watsonian explanation that, like, he's got, like, ADD or something. Yeah, oh, totally, yeah, absolutely. And he's absolutely. just like, uh, I just need to start a new project. Like, I'm bored. He hyper-focuses like crazy. He's like, let's redo all the laws. Yes! Cause what like, if we made the dragon pit? Let's do this project next. Yeah, oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, that he just, yeah. like, chronically, like, picks up projects because mm-hmm. he's got... ADD and he wants to hyper focus on a thing and so like and it just so happens that because he has power and he's the king like that it that it like transforms everything yeah it's really (laughs) useful (laughs) really useful hot to have in a king someone who's like okay but like what if what if we just like redid taxes yeah Um, what if we redid it all yeah what if we just like rebuilt things and built new things yeah um and yeah, so, like, I, I jokingly wrote in my notes, like, how much of his prosperous reign can be attributed to he didn't like to sit idle and enjoy building things when he was stressed out or bored? Yeah. It's the anxiety. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> I think that there is something potentially to that because we've seen the maester say more than once, like, well, you know, a bunch of tragedy happened, but you know what? Jaharis didn't like to sit still, so he just, like, threw himself into a project. And I'm like, oh, this is how he deals with stress. That's how I deal with stress. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's that's the way a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Pro- productive procrastination. Mm-hmm. Is- Why would I need to have feelings when I can just focus on doing this thing? Yeah. You know, like, you know, things are really stressful at work, but you know what? I could redecorate, mm. and I would feel productive and like I've accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, things are. I feel out of control, but what if I cleaned out my coat closet? Mm-hmm. Right. Then, then my coat closet would be cleaned. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Excellent. Get that little dopamine hit. It's great. Yeah. Boom. Done. Hit me with it. <laughs> um, yeah, I could definitely see that happening. Yep. Um, I also wanted to point out that he was shunning Lord Farman, which is really interesting given our conversation last time. I almost brought it up in our last episode, but I didn't want to. But let mm-hmm. like, but that's the only thing he does is just like not I don't visit know. lord farman i don't know that he shuns them right i i think what he does is he doesn't want to go there because he's afraid of dealing with that yeah oh. because prior to him going uh-huh. reyna went oh yeah and reyna was a bitch and like was like mean to him and i think if jaharis went lord farman would have been like what are you gonna do about your fucking sister and jaharis would have been like fucking nothing i'm afraid of her Right. Oh my God. Yes. So I I think the text wants us to think he was shunning him, like he was letting it be known in other ways how he felt, yeah. without making direct threats. And I'm like, no, I I think he's a little bit of a pussy, and he didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> that is much more in line, and that is much more in character with the Jaharis that we've seen, who like yeah, often runs away from things that frighten him. Right. He doesn't really. Has Jaharis had a situation yet where he really had to deal with con- like interpersonal conflict with someone? Um, I guess Ro- Rogar Baratheon maybe a Ro- little bit. Yeah, Rogar Baratheon a little bit, a little bit with Reyna. But like most of the interactions with Reyna go like Reyna comes and yells and gets spicy, and Jaharis is like, eh. Jaharis is like, sure, take the heir to the Iron Throne with you. Yeah, okay, yeah. Like he gives her what she it. wants. Like she, yeah, she wants Dragonstone and she wants the heir to the Iron Throne. And he goes, okay. Yeah. And gives it to her. He mostly caves you know? to Reyna. Right. And, like, what's he going to do? Go to Farman and say what? 
Yeah. Oh, and I do think that that fits really well with what you were saying that maybe Damon Valarian wanted some repercussions for Reyna too. That like mm-hmm. people are wanting repercussions for like Reyna to have repercussions for for some of the things that have happened. And mm-hmm. to Harris is like, but I'm scared of my big sister. <laughs> but I'm scared of my big sister. Yeah, I th- I don't think he has. He's never stood up to her. No. Right. No. And then if you think about their ages, he's maybe 19 now, mm-hmm. and she's late 20s. Yeah, she's like a decade older than him. About. Yeah, she's like about 10 years older. Yeah, so like, and she's got a dragon, and she's she's not gonna let him fuck around. She, I mean, she's a she's a very spooky, scary lady, mm-hmm. and uh, I think yeah, I think he's very, very intimidated by her. He just avoids these situations where he would either have to defend her. Or have to um, punish her. There's actually there's a yeah because you're line. right. He wouldn't want to be perce- as the king of Westeros. He wouldn't want to be perceived as being scared of his big sister. Oh, definitely not. So any situation where he might have to defend her or or show that he didn't want to punish her could look like could make him look weak if he was unwilling to like bring his sister to heal or whatever language that they would use about it. Right, exactly. So you're right. Like, he just has to avoid those situations rather than... That, like, avoiding is better than looking weak. Because, the like, mm-hmm. avoiding Lord Farman could look like I'm punishing him. When actually it's just he doesn't want to deal with Reyna. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, on 233, there's an interesting paragraph towards the bottom where the, the new hand, Lord Smallwood, is speaking. And he's talking about how Reyna confronted Lord Farman. Um... And Smallwood says, is she mad to speak so to a lord in his own hall? Lord Smallwood said, had it been me, I would have had her tongue out. To which the king replied, I hope you would not truly be so foolish, my lord, whatever else she may be. Reyna remains the blood of the dragon and my sister whom I love. Whom I love. His grace did not take issue with Lord Smallwood's point. It should be noted only with his words. And it's like, no, the reason you wouldn't try to take Reyna's tongue out is because she'd fucking eat you with her dragon. Yeah. <laughs> Because like, it is not possible do you, to do that. Right. Do you think you could take Reyna's tongue, Reyna Targaryen's tongue out? Are you crazy? Oh my god. That's like, that's like Rogar Baratheon being like, I'm not scared of Reyna. What the fuck? I wouldn't be scared yeah. of Reyna and then never but get married But then he never again. went again. <laughs> exactly. It's like, she's scary, but all of these men have to act like they're not. So I I think Jaehaerys... Yeah. doesn't i think the, the i think the maester genuinely thinks jaharis didn't go there as like a way to shun him uh-huh. to like to show his disapproval or whatever right yeah but i think the actual reason is that he was a he was afraid to open that pandora's box yes i like what it. was he gonna do once it was open yeah you know? yes how yes anyone who comes to him about reyna like what's he gonna he's gonna do this which is like yeah. but she's my sister and a targaryen so like don't just like leave her alone yeah Exactly. He doesn't. Smallwood doesn't get punished for saying anything mean, Mm-mm. but also Reyna doesn't get punished for saying anything mean. Because like, what are we gonna do? Nope. nope. Um, yeah. And I wanted to. So like, I kind of want to talk about. Um, is it in here, or is it in the other one? Um, I can't remember where I put it, but like, like this whole thing about um, the power of the Targaryens, like. Oh, I put it in the theme section, but we can talk about it here because it's right after what you just read where Septon Barth is like, the power of the Targaryens derives from their dragons. Duh. Mm. Um, 
Yes. Thank you for saying the thing that we all know. Um, and then he talks about, you know, dragons are really dangerous and scary, and that's the real power. The power is always there, and with it, the threat. His grace also grasps a truth that Queen Reyna does not, however. The threat is most effective when left unspoken. The lords of the realm are proud men all, and little is gained by shaming them. A wise king will always let them keep their dignity. Show them a dragon eye they will remember. Speak openly of burning down their halls. Boast of how you will feed their own kin to your dragons. You will only inflame them and set their hearts against you. Which, like, mm-hmm. yes, there's a level of truth there. Absolutely. Because we see this with Rain. This is what we keep talking about with House of the Dragon, of, like, Rhaenyra versus Daemon. But, like, Rhaenyra right. is the, like, just show them the dragon. They're going to know what it means. Like, we don't need to tell mm-hmm. them. We don't need to burn their cities down. And Damon's like, no, what if we burn the city down? And Rhaenyra's like, we don't mm-hmm. have to. We just have to show up with a dragon. And they'll remember. Mm-hmm. And they know what dragons do. Like, <laughs> everyone yes. knows what dragons do. <laughs> everyone knows what that nuclear weapon does. Yeah. We don't need uh, to. We don't actually set it off. So, like, there's truth in that. And also, the unspoken, an unspoken thing here is it's a woman doing it. Yes. That, like, it's not just that they're being shamed with the open threat, which it is. Mm-hmm. I will say that's part of it. Like, Barth is right. Like, you don't need to always threaten people with your dragon. You can just show them a dragon. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. And also, like, like Barth also forgets that women under patriarch can't always afford to be subtle. So there's a couple of things yeah. happening. That, like, a woman can't yes. always afford to be, like, look at my dragon because they'd be like also but like look at your body you're a woman fuck you like Mm -hmm. women can't always afford to be subtle when they're asserting their power under patriarchy they often have to be more direct or else they won't be taken as seriously Mm -hmm. um like men can afford to just be like lord rogar you want to come join me in the courtyard while my dragon is eating lunch and um Mm -hmm. we don't need hostages no yeah. reason why. Just, you know, just figured I would, you know, we can have lunch with my dragon in the background. And you could. Yeah, re- also, have you met, have you met Vermithor? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah. like, men can afford to do that because they already are perceived of ha- as having their own inherent power and authority. So they can just mm-hmm. kind of gesture at it. Like, women can't always afford to do that under patriarchy. They often have to be more direct yes, in order to yes. be taken seriously. And, like, so Barth is like, well, women, why can't you just do it the way men do? And it's like, well, because patriarchy won't let them. They can't. Well, I think a perfect example of this is Alison. Mm-hmm. Alison is a woman with a dragon. Yep. She never threatens people with it. She's never like, I'm going to eat you with Silverwing. She, but she has Silverwing with her mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And when they travel. But Alison is not, at least at this point in the text, never presented as being threatening. Mm-mm. Even though she rides a dragon. Never. Right. I mean, she she speaks about her dragon just as much as Jaehaerys does. Mm-hmm. But the power of the dragon is given to Jaehaerys and not to Alicent. Yep. Um, so yeah, Bartha is forgetting that. And also, <clears throat> I do think that the visible threat is part of what angers the men under patriarchy. That it is the a visible, visible threat, threat, of threat the dragon? from a woman. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. That, like, it's not just that women have to be more direct in order to be taken seriously, but also that, like, the men don't like being threatened by a woman. Yeah. That, like, if a man threatened them, like, sure, they might, you know, be pissy about it. But, like, Mm -hmm. a woman walking into their halls and threatening them with death and murder is, like, Mm -hmm. unacceptable 
Like that's part of what's so offensive about the way that Reyna talks to Lord Varmin is not just what right. she says. It's the fact that she is a woman coming into a man's domain, coming mm. into his castle and talking to him that way. Like, how dare you as a woman come into a man's space where he is the lord of his own castle and like threaten him with physical violence? But and it has to. It's a, it's a credible threat. Yes, yes. It's that an she can back threat. it up. You know, she's not coming in and being like, well, my lord husband would be unhappy if he heard about this, or my lord father would be unhappy about this, or, you know, she's not doing like, you know, um, what's her face from Mean Girls, Gretchen Wieners. My father, the inventor of toaster strudel, uh-huh. wouldn't be happy to hear, you know, like, yep. it's not that. She's saying, I have a little literal dragon, it's parked outside, I will eat you. Mm-hmm. And so they're upset about it because it's it's a woman, but it's a credit, it's an actual threat to their to them and their masculinity. Yep. Because of the fact that it's a credible right. threat. Right. So, of course, the yeah. response to that is like, well, people just didn't use power that way. And it's like, well, underneath that is like, you just don't want women talking this way. That's yeah. a big part of this. So, like, I, like, agree with Barth, but also unspoken is that he Barth would never have had this reaction to a man talking to Lord Farm in this way. I actually think a man does this. I think Aegon the Conqueror, right, when he goes to... Hall yes before he burns it he tells them yes. like you have until whatever time to uh-huh. to do this otherwise i'm going to burn down your castle like he's like pretty explicit about it yeah yeah I, your line ends tonight if you don't if you yeah. don't you know if you don't surrender like this is basically i'm going to destroy your entire family yeah and like you don't have a sept and be like well well i got the conqueror i don't know whether you need to threaten them with violence you should have just showed really? up and been like here's my dragon you know surrender yeah. or whatever <laughs> Oh man, that's a, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. I hadn't thought about those things before. Uh huh. Yeah, that like oh, yes, I awesome. find myself going like, you're right, Septon Barth, but also, I feel like you're only saying this because <laughs> because it was a woman. Yeah. And so I'm what you're really moving... saying is women should not be allowed to speak to men this way. <laughs> I wonder if moving forward we're going to see more of that. Yeah. Uh, particularly going into the dance mm-hmm. with the way people both talk about violence and use violence. Right. You know. Right, and what it what it means when women use violence? How much mm. or talk when women talk about violence is that treated differently than when men talk about yeah. doing a violence? I think I know the answer to that one. I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally unrelated. Well, so somewhat related. It just reminded me. Um, I read on the internet recently that the first episode of season two of House of the Dragon is going to be called A Son for a Son. I'm so concerned. <laughs> oh no. I'm so concerned. Oh no. <laughs> anyway. <gasps> yep. Oh. It's almost like this is a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Oh, not, not my Targaryen tragedy. Oh no. Um <sighs> Yeah, let's talk about Alisanne and how she's not involved she's just making babies uh-huh she doesn't she's not involved in picking the hand she's not involved in the law stuff even though she's on the smaller small council mm-hmm. um also do you think new new headcanon new theory new tinfoil hat time do you think it was Jaharis's decision to overhaul overhaul the laws or do you think it was Allison's suggestion hmm like he might have got really into it like she might have been like hey your next project should be to fix these laws right 
but, but yeah. like she's the only one that showed any interest in the laws previously it like is when they were on progress interesting that his next project is not a building project since yeah Jaharis does seem to gravitate towards building projects in the way that yeah. like Aegon and you know that Aegon did that he was like and also building projects are just more masculine right because it's like look at the look at look at the big thing I did yes yes I built a thing whereas laws are like these ethereal kind of mm-hmm. you know like I promise they exist kind of thing yeah you know yeah and you know I really like that headcanon because it fits much more with Alisanne's personality. She was the one who was like, she right. would have been a good maester. She likes reading books. She was the one who was like, hey, maybe we should read up on being in charge of shit before we actually take mm-hmm. charge. And has already shown an interest in overhauling some of the laws already. That it makes more I'm, sense that maybe if Jaharis was like, I don't know, what do I do next? She's like, have you considered hmm. doing some laws? So you know it would be great if you made some, you are so smart. Uh-huh. You would be so good at making some laws. Uh-huh. Have you tried? Have you tried Because also she, she's the one that was talking to the small folk the most too, right? Yep. Like in her women's courts. Mm-hmm. So besides like women specific issues in Westeros, they undoubtedly told her different things about just like g- general struggles of mm-hmm. being a peasant. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she realized over time that things were different from place to place to place. And that issue of it being uneven uh-huh. is, or, is pretty easy to spot. Right. And pretty easy to be like, that's wrong. Uh-huh. Like, that sh- it should all be, whatever it is, it should all be the same. Right, right. But, but, but Caroline, Archmaester Gildane says that confusion and disorder were offensive to Jaehaerys Targaryen. He was so offended by confusion and disorder. <laughs> <laughs> he needed it. He personally needed the laws... He did it all himself. He made he got all the laws together and said, "You stop being so confused." Yep. And then the laws were great. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that was just what he wanted. But no, I I think that Alison had some input, not just in what happened, but that it happened. Yeah, it, I think that makes the most sense to me because it's 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 the bookishness thing. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that she would be she's shown interest in it, and she's into intellectual pursuits like that. Yep. Not that Jaharis isn't, but she's more so mm-hmm. into those things. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so this smaller council is Queen Alisanne, Septon Barth, um, Grand Maester Benefer, and Lord Albin Massey. Our good friend Lord Albin mm. Massey. He was the, uh, the... The spooky one. Yeah, the spooky scary one. Yeah. Um, the smart boy who can help from behind the scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He seems um, like a good guy. Yeah, and so I, I wonder if, okay, so in this headcanon where Alisanne was the one who was like, we should do this project, we should we should organize all the laws, mm-hmm. um, do you think she might have been the one who was like, we should have an even smaller council to work on this? It's very possible. Mm-hmm. It's I actually kind of was wondering if this was less Jaharis' project and more Alisanne's. Uh-huh. Yep. You know? Because of the fact that it isn't a building project. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not impossible that it was Jaharis's, that they were like, but like one of them must have, somebody must have been like the head honcho in this little team. Uh-huh. And Alison is like in a position where those men would listen to her. Mm-hmm. You know, that those particular, and like if it's a small enough group. Yep. Like the whole council wouldn't listen to her, but like to have a smaller council might be strategic mm-hmm. to like just to work on this project because like, Alisanne's going to be the one kind of heading it up. And we know, you know? that Septon Barth really likes Alisanne because we've gotten some of the mm-hmm. quotes from Septon Barth who was like kind of enamored of her. And Massey is a person who has different uh, 
put upon him already. Mm-hmm. So he would be more likely to follow her as well because the, the patriarchy is not as toxic within him. Yep. And and he's shown quite a bit of insight in the previous section that we did last time. Mm-hmm. He said, like, I can't be him because I look this way and people won't trust me. Yep. So I can I can help you and do all the important shit just from behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like you have to pick someone who looks more like that role because that's part of fulfilling that role is looking like like the small folk expect. Right. Basically. Oh yeah, and Septon Bartha's lowborn. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um I am trying to see if there's anything about Benefer. I can't remember. Um he's been around for a while. Because I think he was uh, under Magor as well. Um, yeah, he like served under Magor. Um, he was Grand Maester under Magor. So he's been around for a while. Like he'd be pretty mm-hmm. old at this point. Um, but um, I mean, he would be loyal to Jaehaerys because Jaehaerys didn't execute him for treason even though he served Magor. Mm-hmm. Um. Hmm. But um. Yeah. Like I like I don't know that there's anything about Benefer that like is as like diverse or progressive as we're seeing with some of the other people on the smaller council. But there's nothing that sets him apart as being like I hate. I specifically hate women, and he might also just be easier to play. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's older, it might be one of those things where Allison could be like. And Mr. Benefer, we need you. You need to review these laws because they're they're very complicated, and these ones I don't understand. And so, like, why don't you review them first and and give me your suggestions? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll I'll review them. You know, kind of thing. Right. Um. So yeah, this like, it, but it is interesting project, yeah. that the people who get chosen are people who like, other than Benefer, who we don't really know much about, are people that can't openly hold power mm-hmm. but are really instrumental in like reshaping the laws of Westeros and that's just really interesting to me how that works out yeah mm. huh mm. that's pretty cool but also one other thing that I was thinking about this is uh, that doesn't come up in the text is how much um, this continues the Targaryen propaganda machine. Um, yes. Oh, yes. I saw your notes about that. Yeah, yep. go ahead and explain that because that's great. Yeah. So, like, having a, a a solidified, coherent legal system um, is another way of unifying the realm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder to throw off the monarchy if you're united under one legal system and that legal system was developed by the current reigning family. Mm-hmm. Um. so like that's a part of what's happening here like whoever made the decision you know whether it was Alisanne or Jaehaerys or both having a unified legal system works in favor of keeping the Targaryens in charge A because they propagated it and B mm-hmm. because like this legal system will be used to prop up their rule um, mm-hmm. in the way that we see that the, the US Supreme Court like doesn't just exist like part of what it does is maintain the status quo that brought it into power there are so many things like that in the united states so so two examples i can think of is the the supreme court's power to determine whether something is constitutional Mm -hmm. 
is not in the Constitution. It was decided after uh-huh. <laughs> by the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah, they're like, only we have the power to decide how to read this document, actually. It was, uh, I forget, I'm uh, a terrible lawyer, I forget, I think it was Marbury versus Madison, but I could have the wrong case. I haven't read about it in a, in a hot minute. But basically, it was the first Supreme Court that sat one of their early cases was that question came up. And it was like kind of one of those things where it's like, if you read the whole Constitution, which is a short document, you could very, you can argue credibly, I think, that the founders intended the Supreme Court to have that power because that's the only way it balances the other branches. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't have the power to say things are unconstitutional, then what's it there for, you know? Right. Um, but it's also not in the Constitution that they have that power. So they made that shit up and gave it to themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the other thing that's like this, and um, I'm going to do my best. I have not read about this in a long time, but I remember this being a topic of conversation when I was in law school many moons ago. Um, the way a state can secede from the nation in the United States um, is prescribed by law, by federal law of the United States government. Mm. So the government that you're trying to secede from laid out rules for how you secede. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and it's hard. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, so it's the same kind of thing. It's like, like, you know, if you like, like in this case, like if you're, the Riverlands, or like if you're in the Ironborn and you want to rebel, well, if all of your laws are the laws that everybody else follows and the king made, mm-hmm. and you're like steeped in that, how do you break away from it and become your own unified thing when you're already part of this collective? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. That like having local laws is a part of how kingdoms maintain their own identity. Mm-hmm. As like, well, we do things our way in our place, and you do things your way in your place, and that's part of how I am different from you. It's part of how you create, the, like, inter, like, that, yeah. that unity within, like, you know, being the crown lands versus the storm lands versus whatever, like, is partly mm-hmm. because you do things your own way legally. Right. And currency-wise. Mm-hmm. Right. When when the when the colonies were first, when the 13 colonies were first uh, happening, everybody had different currency. And it was a big pain in the ass. But the, one of the first things the, the newly formed U.S. government did was make the currency all one thing. Yep. And the colonies were like, how dare you take away our differences? It's like, yeah, bitch, because we're all, you can't, you can't, like, cross the river from Virginia into Maryland and then have to pay with a different kind of money. Like, this is not going to work. You know, you have to do it all together. Right. So, yeah, anything that we see in Jaharis's reign that's like, he wanted to, he wanted to, like, simplify and organize and is like, mm-hmm. and also stabilize his own power. Like, that, like, all of these, anything that, that, that promotes unification is also mm-hmm. promotes the Targaryen dynasty. So this is not yeah, just like... Very good politics. Yes, yeah. it's great politics. This is not just selfless, you know, I find contradictions offensive. It's also, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, having a unified I, legal system is another way that I have more power. So we're going to mm-hmm. do it. I do also think another clue that this is Alison's idea is that part of this is equality mm-hmm. and making it so things are consistent for everyone. Yeah. And Alison is the one that has shown interest in yeah. treating people fairly yeah yeah that, right. yep. and J- i mean jaharis too jaharis hasn't hasn't shown interest in not treating them fairly but allison's the one that's like explicit like with the widow's law mm-hmm. for example yeah right yeah. yes yeah like she has shown much more explicit interest in making laws and making laws fair yes um which isn't to say that jaharis couldn't feel that way we just if he does we don't know about it mm-hmm. and you have to assume well, his that involvement- he feels that way 
his involvement now in doing this because he's he's whether this is his idea or not to re- overhaul the laws he's definitely involved in the process right so i think i would give him credit for that for sure mm-hmm. um all right do you want to like, you want to talk about that that new heir to oh the iron throne of course the new heir the newest heir thank god we have an heir thank we've god never we had an, an heir before to be the heir to the uh, iron throne look at him i made him yep look i'm holding him up for I'm you <laughs> him up for you i made it i made a boy um, yeah, it was just the way, like, it immediately says the new heir to the Iron Throne. I'm like, oh, right, yeah, of course he is. Of course the infant, the, the infant boy is the heir because he's a boy. I'm so curious what Alisand thinks. I'm so curious. I just wonder if Alisand's, like, getting around this cognitive dissonance by being like, well, Daenerys and him will get married. Yeah. You know, like, if she's just like, well, the two, the first two are going to get married, so it's fine, mm-hmm. you know? But, like... I, I just, what, I'm so curious what teenage Allison thinks of that. Yeah. Yeah, especially because she's because of how invested she is in the idea of her daughter being the queen and what a good queen yeah. she's going to make. To then have everyone immediately be like, the new heir to the throne! Look, we finally have an heir to the throne! And she's like, but I... <sighs> but my smart... My smart daughter who likes to read books and is really into gross motor skills. Yeah. I thought she was going to be queen. Yeah. Huh? But she will be queen because she'll marry her brother and it'll be great. Yep. Um, I don't know that this means anything, but I just, it stood out to me how much this section makes of what Aemon looks like. Yeah, I was wondering about that too, because basically what they're describing is that this is just a very, very pale child. Yes, like he's a very pale boy. He ain't got no color in his eyes. He ain't got no color in his hair. Yeah. He is so pale. Eyes as pale as lilac. His hair when it came in was pale as well, shining like white gold. A color rare even in Valyria of old. I'm like, so he's just like a really white boy. Is that special somehow? I, the only, <laughs> in the whole world of Ice and Fire, like the whole the whole thing altogether canonically, the only, like, I can see some relevance to the Targaryens being the literal, literal whitest people in existence. Uh, for two reasons. One, I think it's it is potentially useful for Daenerys' story. We'll see where she goes mm-hmm. of undermining the white savior trope, right? Which seems to have already is already kind of happening in the Dance with Dragons, but we have to kind of get the ending to see if that's where it goes. Mm-hmm. I do think it's also a um a play by Martin on the reader for a couple of fantasy tropes. So the mm-hmm. fact that pale people in fantasy universes in classic fantasy universes are seen as the good ones think like the elves in lord of the rings you know yeah they're fair they're beautiful they're good and then the bad ones are the orcs they're dark and it's like that's racism yes it is uh and i think what martin is playing with is like these people are so beautiful and so magic but actually, a lot of them are really bad, and they're, like, the original slavers. Mm-hmm. Like, the Valyrians were, like, literally the original slavers. And I, so I do think to that extent and to that commentary, there's, like, a point to it. Yeah. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I, I don't know if that point is worth it. Uh-huh. I think that point was really worth it in the 80s when these books were begun. Yeah. I don't know if that point's were really worth it anymore in the 2020s. Mm-hmm. I, I think it might be one of those things that was really cool commentary four decades ago. Right, right. But is less compelling commentary now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah. Because, yeah, I do think, like, Martin is trying to undermine the whole, like, blood purity and magic thing. Yeah. Because um, I've read, like, in some of his other, like, shorter works, he addresses similar things, I think, in, like, the skin trade. Um, mm-hmm. And a few others, the idea that, like, you know, blood purity and inbreeding is actually, like, ends up being self-destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have often felt that, like, the in-universe obsession with how Targaryen someone looks is a way to, like, play around with that. Because on the one hand, you have, like, people obsessed with, like, the blood purity of the Targaryens. Mm-hmm. And, but ultimately, like, what you and I are are looking at is the ways in which that, like, incest is a corrupting force. And so, like, they're, mm-hmm. like, we're meant to read those things side by side as, like, the obsession with blood purity is actually, like, a destructive force. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, still really weird to, like, read I, about people being, like, wow, yeah, like, he's so pale. Isn't that super, isn't he, like, the most Targ and makes him, like, super special, I guess? Like, I mean, and I guess if you think about it, like, genetically, it's also, like, it, it kind of reveals the hypocrisy because... Ooh, all right, let me see if I could do this math. So, Jaharis and Alison are full-blood siblings. Mm-hmm. So, they have the same genes. Yep. They had one Targaryen parent and one Valerian parent. Mm-hmm. So, they're each 50% Targ, 50% Valerian. Right. So, all of their children are also 50% Targ and 50% Valerian. Mm-hmm. So, they're not even, like, more Targ. Right. They're just as targ as the parents are. Right. Yes. You know? Uh-huh. So, yeah. I mean, I think the text does a lot of stuff of, like, it's so it's very superficial with how people are considered to have, like, that the, the blood of old Valyria. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the purple eyes and golden hair of old Valyria. That whole shtick. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about Alison has blue eyes. Yep. And, like, regular blonde hair. Mm-hmm. You know? So... It's just like, it's it's silly. It's like a silly little the blood purity thing. And I think the, the what he's going for is a critique on that in a fantasy universe, right. and to make you think, like, to make you as the reader think, like, oh, these fantasy tropes that I've just sort of accepted are bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and I think it's an interesting critique. Do you need people to be white to do that? No, probably not. Mm-hmm. Did he start writing this in the eighties? Yes. Right. What are we going to do at this point? Uh-huh. This is where we're at. Right. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, yes. I agree. Everything you just said. Yeah. Yeah. We don't We don't necessarily See, need that anymore. This is why I like in House of the Dragon that they made the Valerians black. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's really interesting. Yep. You know? Because it's like, they still have the, the white blonde hair and the purple eye. Well, they don't have purple eyes because nobody in the show does because they're lazy. Mm-hmm. But they have the white blonde hair. <laughs> Uh, which is cool because it's like you should be able to like have a skin tone that's other than white and have cool fantasy hair. Mm-hmm. Like you should have give give everyone the cool fantasy hair. The fucking fiction. Yeah, do yeah. There is nothing that says that like really pale hair goes with really pale skin. Like there's right. literally nothing requires that actually. Like we also know that the opposite is true. That you can be very pale and have dark hair. Yeah. So why not the opposite? And you- you, I mean, there are people in real life that have um, dark skin and blonde hair. Yeah. 
and blue eyes. Yes. It like that happens too. Yeah. People are diverse. Yeah. Or like ginger. Like you can have red hair and all sorts of skin tones. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've been it's... watching Wheel of Time and um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've watched Wheel of Time. It is also very good. I have never read the books, but I really like the show. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like a, there's these people called the Aiel who are like known for their red hair. Um, mm-hmm. And like they introduced a character who's black, who's an Aiel. Mm-hmm. And she just has like ginger dreadlocks and i was like mm-hmm. awesome great yeah. that is also possible in real life yeah. like you can be black and have ginger hair like there's literally like mm-hmm. human beings yes. can look a lot of different ways people like and you know who else can mermaids can also be black and have red hair yes <laughs> that was my favorite argument against the little mermaid people like oh my god she can't be black her hair is red i'm like she's a fish yeah like a that, fantasy fish a that happens in real life so it's possible b she's a fucking fish she's a fantasy creature a like she fish. can look whatever she however she wants yeah also applies to game of thrones this is also a fantasy universe right People exactly look however so, uh, i fucking want yeah i again I, I battle with it because I do th- I do think there's the potential for good commentary for them being li- like literally the whitest people. I do also wish there was more diversity in the books. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I I think Martin does a really excellent job writing about women mm-hmm. and sexism and misogyny. I think he does a good job writing about race when the race is fake. Yes, like the Dornish. Uh-huh. I think he has a hard time otherwise writing about race, right. which is just a limitation. Yep, you know and. Yeah. I wish it didn't exist. I wish we had more on that. And I mean, like, listen, he's got at least two more books. He said before that there is no, there's not going to be any new points of view. He can change that. Mm-hmm. Um, he could give me an associate point of view. Give it to me. Yeah. Give me an associate point of view. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Give me a Dothraki. Give me oh. fucking somebody in there. I mean, look, give me something. I would have like, you can do loved it. to have one of Danny's handmaidens as a point of view. I would love to have more small focus point mm-hmm. of views. You know, yep. or even like, give me a Dothraki cow who's now encountering Daenerys and has to decide what to do for his Kalasar. Mm-hmm. You know, do they like maybe some of the Kalasars are like, oh, we have to fight the dragon. Maybe some are like, no, that's the stallion that mounts the world. And maybe he has to decide like what's best mm-hmm. for like my people. Like she wants to take us across the poison water to somewhere else to go fight for some throne. We have no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. Like she wants us to leave our homeland. And she's, like, invading us and taking us over. Or do we fight her and almost certainly die because she has a dragon? And is she actually prophetic? Is this the prophecy? Like, I would love that kind of point of view. Give it to me, George, please. Yeah, I would too. Um, all right. Let's... I mean, who gets shafted? I'm going to say Rayella Because mm. what is Rayella thinking or feeling or doing? This book doesn't... Gildane doesn't give a fuck about Rayella and what she's yeah. up to. I do like to think that Rayella said that shit about the mother above in a kind of snarky way, though. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I want to believe that there was a little, that, like, some of it is true, that, like, she has found solace in her religion, but also that's a little bit passive-aggressive. <laughs> because the way she says it, she's like, because oh, it's just like, the way she says it, she's like, I have the best mother because her mom's like, I'm so sorry I wasn't there mm-hmm. like to be your mom. I'm sorry I was a bad mom. And she's like, oh, mom, I have the best mom, mm-hmm. the mother above. Because it makes it sound like she's going to say, you are, like, I have the best mom. Like, you cared for me. You did all these things for me, whatever. And then she doesn't know what she says. It's page 232. 
Um, when Reyna expressed regret that she had not been a better mother, the novice Rayella embraced her and said, I have had the best mother any child could wish for, the mother above, and you are to thank for that. Yeah. Sure sounds yeah. a little passive aggressive to me. It sounds a little passive aggressive, but I kind of hope it is. <laughs> right? Like, she also deserves to be kind of mad at her mom, even though you and I know that, like, Reyna sent her children away to protect them initially um she doesn't ever go visit rayella and she's got a dragon so she could do it she could fly from dragonstone to old town as much as she wanted to go visit her daughter and in the i Sept, wonder and she doesn't i wonder if rayella has any resentment about being switcherooed yeah because not that she didn't want to be in the sept obviously she's that's much better for her but any resentment over the fact that her mom had such an easy time to switcherooing her uh-huh you know, and just being like, like, that's fine. You go to the Sept. And then, like, yeah, never seeing her until now. I would imagine Rayella might have some feelings about um, the fact that even though she didn't want to be the heir, um, Arya got to spend time with their mom. Mm-hmm. You know, that, like, even though she didn't want, you know, that her temperament was such that she seems pretty happy at the Sept. Mm-hmm. But that, like, I would imagine if she and Rayella were to get together and or she and Arya were to get together and Arya would be like, well, I got taken from King's Landing, and I got, had to go hang out with Mom, and it was dark and gloomy, and I didn't have any friends. And Rayella would be like, well, at least you got to hang out with Mom. Mm-hmm. Mom never yeah. wanted to see me, okay? Like, she at least took you back, and that's because she thought you would be cool as an heir, whereas, like, I never even got to see Mom. Mom never comes to visit me until you go missing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, she doesn't even come here until she's looking for you. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Damn. But yeah, I can imagine Rayella having some like if the, if those two if those two twins were to get together and have a conversation that they would also have some like bitterness on both sides about like you know mm-hmm. what happened in their life. Um and yeah, like I do just like the more I think about Rayella, I also imagine that she would be pretty lonely. That like I guess it depends. I I mean it depends what kind of the, the sept is full of other people like her. Mhm. So I imagine she could have, like, lots of friends there. And, like, maybe she's gay, too. She could have lots of girlfriends there as well. Right. But just, you know. like, the way that she's isolated and cut off from her family. Like, yeah, she doesn't get to have her family. Even though, again, it wouldn't be hard for Raina to come visit her. Or literally anyone else. Like... I guess part of it is, like, when you when you become a septa, you're supposed to, like, you give up your... That's true. Like, this is one of those, like, vows things, yeah, right? Yeah, you give up your with family. Like, you. Yeah. That could still... I mean, they're the royal family. Yeah, they're the royal family. They could visit No one's going to stop them. Uh-huh. So. Um, but, yeah, I just, like, I want to know more about Rayella's life and what it's like for her and how she's feeling and this text. I want to know more about the seps in general. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I think that's really interesting. It'll be, like, a really interesting story to see, like, how that dynamic plays out and what people are doing. Yeah, um, I know that I think Kylie and Julie and I have had conversations about being really interested in the Silent Sisters. Yeah. And, like, what yeah. their life and experience is. Um, but I feel the same way just about, like, the Septas, about um, in the same way that historically, you know, like, the, like the Septas are functioning similarly in the world of ice and fire as they do in his like in history there's some similarity between that like lordly houses often view them as a way to um 
to get rid of unwanted daughters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is just like, I don't well, know, I go mean, be a that, nun. Yeah, I mean, that that's like back back in the day, you know, actually back in the day in real life is what I'm talking about. You know, you, you had 10 kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you would give some to the church. Mm-hmm. Right. As a priest or as a nun or like whatever. Like you you'd be like, and this one's for the church because there's too many. Yeah, we don't we don't know what to <laughs> do with have, this one. We've we've have this one. <laughs> we've we've made some suitable marriages with the older ones and we've got like three left over. So like I don't know, go be a priest. Mm-hmm. Go yeah. serve God. Um Exactly. And how often like for the women especially who were sent to convents, that some of it was about being unwanted because you already had like several daughters. Um, mm-hmm. some of it was temperament with someone like Rayella of like, well, she seems really suited to this and she might like it. Um, mm-hmm. and I do think that part of it for Reyna was, well, I've theorized, I think that there was potentially a way to protect Rayella from being preyed upon by the patriarchy mm-hmm. of like a way to be like, well, you can't use my daughter as a political pawn because she can't be married off because she's a septa. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I do think that is a way to protect her. So yeah. it could be like a protective and it could also be a place for women to go when they don't fit under patriarchy. Hmm. You know, women women um, who might be queer or don't want to get or asexual or don't want to get married. And so like they end up becoming a septa because it's one of the few avenues for women to remain single for their whole life without mm-hmm. the pressure to marry is to like serve the church. Right. And be cared for. Yep. And be cared you know, for. be single and be cared for. Uh, this We should put a pin in this and come back to this several chapters from now when we're talking about all of Jaehaerys' kids because one of his sons mm-hmm. goes and becomes a, a maester or archmaester or something like yep. that. And part of it is just like they don't know what the fuck to do with yeah. him. Yeah, when you, ha- when you, ha- when you like, end up having like 10 kids. Yeah, he's got like this weird kid that he's just like, I don't know what happened with this one, you know. Yep. And they like... They can't, like, get him to be married. And, and like, so I think something similar is happening mm-hmm. with him. Um, right. But, like, so. because there's such a, to my mind, like, because there's such a mixture of reasons why women end up in, like, religious service in this way, I've always been deeply interested in what that's like. When you have yeah. women from so many different backgrounds and so many different reasons for why they're there, what is mm-hmm. that community like? When, like, some are there because they want to be there, because it's a temperament thing. Some are there because they were unwanted mm-hmm. and they couldn't serve a function, you know, or like couldn't. Some are there because they were trying to express their sexual agency and everyone got scared and said center to the convent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Some, and some of it was about queerness. Yeah. Like that, like, what is that community like when like mm-hmm. some of these women are societal rejects and mm-hmm. some of these women are here because they want to be there? Yeah. And like, I'm just always deeply interested in like female religious orders under patriarchy because there's so many ways that you can end up there and like again that's part of why i'm looking at this and going like well what's it like for riella like what is her life yeah. like? what is her community like being with surrounded by women some of whom want to be there some of whom maybe don't want to be there but have to like some of you know mm-hmm. and like how does she understand her own position being there right i was just thinking like i wonder because, I mean, the, the point of these sort of things is, like, like nuns in real life are, like, very um, scholarly. Mm-hmm. They study a lot. Yeah. They write a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. And certainly as part of what they're, they're doing in the SEPs is studying and writing and thinking and debating and those, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they talk about the crown. And Rayella 
probably to at least her close confidants there talks about her mom and her her experiences and stuff like that and i hope hopefully maybe she's worked through a lot of it uh in a kind of informal sort of way like that um but yeah they have to be talking about those things mm-hmm. that's just the kind of nature of the beast that's what they do yeah 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 and i just want good things for her i want rayella to have a nice life because Someone in that family, some woman in that someone family needs, needs to. to get something that she wants, needs to have well, a life that Aria, she wants. Well, Arya's on an adventure and she's going to have a great life Nothing from terrible that adventure. is going to happen to her. Nothing terrible she's is going to burst out from inside of fine. her. Uh, <laughs> everything will be fine. Let's talk about themes. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about what makes a good king. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was another you know. quote that we didn't bring up when we were talking about that, which is in the section just before what we were reading. It's right at the very, mm-hmm. very beginning where it says, um, you know, it's talking about how, like, well, you know, Jaehaerys didn't avoid conflict entirely, um, but they were mostly, all the wars he fought were short and contested largely at sea or on distant soil. It is a poor king who wages battle against his own lords and leaves his own kingdom burned bloody and strewn with corpses, Septon Barth would write. His grace was a wiser man than that. And my first mm-hmm. thought was, like, Oh, what an interesting commentary on A Song of Ice and Fire. But also, what an interesting commentary on Rhaenyra and the Dance of Dragons. Hmm. Like, a, a good ruler doesn't do a civil war and fight their own people. Oh. Oh. Like a roundabout way, like a roundabout way to critique Rhaenyra oh. for like, well, she was clearly a bad king because she left her realm bloody and strewn with corpses and fought her own lords. What a bad king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about Aegon? Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. What, a, yes, funny, what a funny thing to say. Like a good king doesn't fight his own lords. And you're like, how about the founder of the Targaryen dynasty? Does he count? But also during during the dance. Aegon the yeah, second. Yeah, Aegon the second. Or he's the second or third? Third. Second. Third. Third. Aegon third. Yeah, there we go. No. Shit. Aegon the third is who takes over. Right. Okay. Aegon second. the second. Yeah, there we go. Aegon the second. Okay. That's right. That's too many of them. Um, Aegons. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. You're right. That is a critique. I mean, that was something we talked about during the run of the show mm-hmm. was would it have made sense for Rhaenyra to accept some kind of peace terms? Right. And I thought the terms that were sent were not bad in the show. I forget what they are off the top of my head now. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the terms are basically, like, nobody dies and we make a peace. Mm-hmm. And it's like, nobody dies is always good terms. Right. Yeah. You know, nobody dies is always good terms. Uh-huh. And they could have set something up where it's like, somebody has to marry somebody to get the lines back together mm-hmm. at some point, you know? Like, they could have made it work. But it was, yeah. No, I mean, she stood up for her birthright. Mm-hmm. She is standing up for her birthright. Right. Right, but yeah, I was thinking about the... My initial thought was mm-hmm. about, like, Robert's Rebellion, um, Tywin Lannister, because there are corners of the fandom who just fucking love Tywin Lannister and think he's great. I don't know why. It does. I don't get it. He's terrible. Yeah. He's like... There's also... I've been rereading... I'm in A Feast for Crows now. I'm, like, towards the second half of it. And, like, Cersei's thoughts about the things Tywin would have done... She, like, didn't know her father at all. She thinks he's just, like... I mean, he's not a good dude, mm. but she thinks he was, like, so indiscriminately violent all the time. I'm like, where the fuck have you been? Yep. yep. <laughs> who, 
who were you watching all this time? Jamie thinks the same thing too. I love I love yeah. reading what Tywin's kids think about what Tywin would do. Yeah, I'm like Tywin wouldn't do any of these things. Tywin's much smarter than that. Like right, but at the same time, Tywin also invaded the Riverlands on the pretense of his son being held captive, and that was just one of those like you don't fight your own, yeah. you don't just ravage the Riverlands because Tyrion, you know. The kid that you care the least about was taken captive by Cat Stark, and so you just decided that you could like rape and pillage and ravage and burn the Riverlands. Like, good for you, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a political power move for him to do mm-hmm. that. You know, that the, I, I would have to go to the text to pull specific examples from Cersei, but like she th- constantly is thinking about things Ty, how Tywin would handle stuff, right? And it's always wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, he wouldn't have. He might have done something violent, but not that. Yes, <laughs> right. Yes, like I think she thinks yeah. of him as doing a lot of personal violence. Yeah, she thinks he. She thinks she's a lot more like him than she is. Yeah, every That's every child, all of the Lannister children have a complex about their dad. They do, um, <laughs> and about each other, and which one, and and that they are nothing alike. They don't share anything mm-hmm. in common. How dare you say that they're the same? Well, I mean, Tyrion doesn't have a complex about his father because he's a secret Targaryen. You see, so his his father isn't even Tywin. You're no son of mine. Tywin said that. So that, therefore, <laughs> secret dark confirmed. Uh, <laughs> oh, the irony it. is we that he is. <laughs> um, right? Like that. I mean, that's the yes. that's the tragedy. Like that's the irony of Tywin saying that is like actually the child that is most like him is Tyrion. Is Tyrion? Tyrion is yeah. the child most like Tywin Lannister, but he refuses to see it because because ableism. Like, because ableism. Well, because Tyrion, uh, Gretchen, Tyrion's always whoring around. He's got all these these whores that he's seeing. And, and Tywin, Tywin definitely did that. not have a secret passage that he that he was doing. Tywin nor nor never, did he actually. Never. Nor did he actually have sex with Tyrion's. He t- Lord Tyron loved Lady Joanna, his cousin, and after she died, he never fucked again. Never, just never, yep. never. No, nope. not a once. Not a once. He, he just was... Tywin was just such a wannabe Targ. He just desperately wanted to be a Targaryen. He did. So that's why he married his cousin. And that's why his kids have incest with each other. Like, I don't know. I, I love everything about the Lannisters. I don't love the Lannisters. I love the symbolism and the irony. Like, and yeah. like that just... The complex they have about, like, we really want to be Targs, but then when they act like Targs, Tywin's like, no, not like that. Yeah. I want to be Targaryens, <laughs> but, like, my kids can't do incest. And it's like, well, I thought you wanted to be a Targaryen, dude. Like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm. It is interesting that the the kids, Joffrey, Marcella, and Tommen, are criticized for being the products of incest when it's, like, the entire line of kings you have. Yeah. All of them. All of them. Did you forget? Like, yeah, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that you were. I thought you were fine with like the blood purity. They're, oh, they're not exceptional. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There, there is uh, no such thing as Lannister exceptionalism. No, no, Lannister. They're, they're not exceptional. They're not closer they're, to gods than men. They don't ride dragons. Their hair is regular blonde. Their hair is not beaten golden. Yeah, they they just are blonde. regular blonde haired, blue eyed people, not magical blonde haired, people. Right. <laughs> She's got green eyes, and that's totally different. Oh, totally different, 100%. <laughs> anyway, oh, we got far afield. 
Um, yeah. So we talked about themes like the real power being dragons. We've talked about this already. Mm. That, um, you know, how you use a dragon and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, and the difference between a man using it. Yes. And a, a woman using yeah, it. Yeah, there, there is. So. so. Weirdly, under patriarchy, there's a difference between when men use dragons and women use dragons. I don't know where this comes from, Caroline. What a, we- what a weird thing. I'm shocked, personally. I did not expect this to happen in this text. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> you just think that power is power, right? Power is power. Dragons are fire made flesh. Power is power. <laughs> Stay in school. Don't do drugs. Chaos is a ladder. <laughs> chaos is a ladder. <laughs> what's, the, what's the chaos is a ladder speech that Laris gives in oh, yeah, he House does of the Dragon? Kind of do you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, I do. He does. I don't remember uh, what it is, but it was very similar to the Chaos like, of the Ladder speech. Oh, I liked his speech here. He was like, look at this flower. It's foreign, but it grows here. <laughs> Isn't it significant? <laughs> <laughs> Take off your shoes. Oh, oh Lara. Uh, I know what they the were doing, worst. but I still don't like it. I don't like it at all. Not even a little bit. All right. So those are themes. I think we thoroughly analyzed this section. I think we did, too. Um. What are we reading next time? Do we know yet? Oh. Have we picked? Ooh, the picture of uh, oh, yeah. Arya's in the we section. Got... Arya's coming, Aria coming up. Okay, I think this goes to like 270 something. All right, so next time, guys, we're going to be reading, uh, picking up on 240, starting at the paragraph that starts with As the Seven Kingdoms Celebrated. And we're actually going to be going through 253. It's a little bit of a longer section. Um, and it ends with the sentence the king's own subjects were likewise forbidden from visiting valyria under pain of why death. would that be find out next know. time to see why you shouldn't go to valyria <laughs> tune in next time check in next time why valyria is bad <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay so our email address is house of fire and blood podcast at gmail.com all one word our instagram is house of fire and blood podcast if you want to follow us there um I'm going to do a shout out to one of our places. As we talked about last time, our podcast website tells us approximately where downloads are happening of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And again, we're very happy that people are even bothering to listen to us, which like God bless. Uh, we're very excited about that. But another big cluster, last time we, we called out Kansas, uh, which was nice. Another big cluster is we have uh, quite a number of downloads in Europe. Um <laughs> And I'm trying to figure out what country that is. Uh, well, there's definitely a bunch of downloads in London. Nice. There's several different downloads in London that seem pretty consistent. Uh, it looks like multiple people, not just our one downloader in Kansas. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be multiple people in London who are listening to our podcast. So shout out to our London listeners. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope... This is entertaining to you. <laughs> and I hope you've learned a lot about Jersey in the process of... Uh, and when I say Jersey, I mean New Jersey, not the Jersey in Europe. <laughs> yes, the, uh, the new colony Jersey. Yes, yes. We're, we have blueberries here. Um, so, yes. That's awesome. Thanks, thanks again for listening, guys. Uh, so, until next time, you ready? Yeah, until next time, remember that the best way to celebrate a new baby being born is to hold them really high on the top of a castle. But just make sure they Mm. don't wiggle. Mm. Yes, Mm -hmm. definitely. And until next time, remember, if you're ever sitting at home and you're bored, you know, just consider gathering and rewriting all of the laws of the land. Mm -hmm. It's a good project for a rainy day. 
and uh, it'll it'll be good for your house for sure. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, listen, I would actually not mind if someone decided to overhaul the U.S. laws. <laughs> oh gosh, we so, so true though. So true. Anyway, legalize marijuana. Anyway. <laughs> yes, hundred percent, absolutely. Yes. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, I also love that, um, which is a thing that I only started noticing when I tried different kinds of honey, is that they taste different. And I just think, that, oh, like, yeah. of course they do. But, like, I grew up where honey came in, like, a you got honey from Costco and it was just honey. Yeah. It was j- and it would be like wildflower honey, but it was just honey. Like, honey just tastes like honey. And mm-hmm. then you, you know, I say you, but I mean myself. And then I started, <laughs> like, going to farmer's markets and they'd be like, no, this is clover honey and this is um, dandelion honey and this is sunflower honey. And you taste mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, my gosh, they taste different. And- in Jersey, we have a lot of blueberry honey because bl- blueberries are actually the state fruit of New Jersey. Oh, I um, Because we were the first place that were they were like cultivated in the Americas. Um, oh. Yeah, fun. The more you know, um, and it tastes really good. It's Ooh. really good. It doesn't taste like blueberries, but it, it has like a distinct flavor because uh-huh. it's not like there are some honeys where they'll like take a honey and infuse it with something afterwards. Yes. Right. But that's not that's not what we're talking about, mm-hmm. dear listeners. That it's like if the bees primarily get their pollen from a blueberry plant uh-huh. and then make the honey. Yep. It has a different flavor than if they primarily mm-hmm. get it from clovers or my favorite wildflower just means fucking anything. Yeah. Wildflowers like we don't know where these bees went. Yeah. These are, these are free range bees. They, they yeah. just, you know, they sample everything. Yeah. We don't know what these, what these bees did. Yep. I have some dandelion honey in my kitchen right now mm. that I really like. It's I a really light that. color. Like, it's not quite yeah. as dark as some of the other honeys. Because, like, buckwheat honey is very dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't personally like buckwheat honey, but it has, like, a very – it's you might like it. It's very flavorful. Mm-hmm. You ever have it before? No, buckwheat? I haven't had buckwheat honey. Really? They sell it at, like, all the red fairs over here, at least. It's the dark one. Okay. I should try it. Because, yeah. yeah, I like things with really strong flavors. It, it, it has a strong flavor. You probably would like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Anyway, let's podcast. talk about this book. Um, I have my window open because I'm dying of heat stroke, but if it starts making noises, I'll get up and close it. Okay. Like if there starts being birds.